it was shocking. It was it was shocking. It was a horrible thing to witness. His feet were hanging out the back of the truck, but the rest of his body was compacted like so much garbage. When we got the news that they had got crushed up in the truck, we had to keep on working. That's when he said, we got a strike. It wasn't no, well, let's think about it. it was, let's do it. The I Am Story podcast brought to life the Memphis Sanitation Workers' Strike of 1968. It was an historic moment when union leaders linked arms with church and civil rights leaders, including Martin Luther King Jr., to support 1,300 black workers who collected the city's garbage. Together, they fought for a union and won, which allowed the sanitation workers to improve their lives. I'm Lee Saunders, president of AFSCME, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Right now, in many different job sectors, workers are choosing to go on strike for better pay, benefits, and dignity in the workplace. This is a difficult decision involving huge risk and uncertainty. At AFSCME, we support working people wherever and whenever they face tough fights like this. In this episode, we will hear from several labor leaders I am proud to count as allies and friends. They will offer their thoughts on what the labor movement is up against today and how the Memphis strike resonates for them in their current battles. My name is Randy Weingarten. I am a school teacher now serving as the president of the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. I am Dee Taylor. I'm the president of Unite Here International Union. We represent workers like in hotels, casinos, cafeterias, food service, stadiums, arenas. Uh, that's who we represent. I'm Mary Kay Henry. I'm the president of the Service Employees International Union. We are two million members that work in healthcare, hospitals, nursing homes, home care, and K-12 school, um, mostly support staff. And then we have janitors, security officers, and airport workers. In 1968, the sanitation workers themselves decided to go on strike in Memphis. And then our union AFSCME came in to help them. It did not look like a winnable fight. And yet Jerry Worth, who was president of AFSCME at that time, decided we had to take the risk. This strike can only go on so long as these men, these residents and workers for the city of Memphis, want it to go on. But I assure you of one thing, on behalf of the 375,000 members of our international union, that so long as they want help and they want support, by God, they're going to get that help and that support. That's the situation that union leaders today often face, knowing we're going into a fight that we may not win. Frankly, the workers are ahead of us. We're trying to build strength and power of workers, and if those workers have taken that risk, then why the heck aren't we taking that risk? Now, sometimes uh, it fails. I mean, we like to talk about successes. I think the real, the real story that isn't told enough here about Memphis is the failure of the previous strike and then coming back. I, I've been involved with losing strikes. And then going back and giving people confidence enough to strike again, it's a hurdle. And I think one of the keys to that is having a plan that workers go, okay, well, that makes sense. Workers will make their choices. I don't believe in being paternalistic or maternalistic. Workers are smart. They, they can make their own choices. And 
working class folks in this country get the crap kicked out of them all the time. And they'll make a choice whether they want to go on strike or not or whether what they want to do in a fight. There are times that you take on strikes that are unwinnable. You, you try to make them winnable, but you no know, civil rights does not know the a risk benefit analysis. And, you know, you, you make sure that the expectations of the members are transparent and honest and what you can and can't achieve, and then you try for more. But in periods of time when our unions first started in so many different places, nothing looked winnable. And it was the possibility of freedom that helped make the impossible become possible. You know, I think about the early days of the fast food strikes when fast food workers were demanding 15 in a union and they struck from 2012 till 2015 before $15 was realized in some parts of the country. And so here's the thing that I experience. There's always success in the feeling of we're in this together We were courageous together, and it frankly transforms people's sense of themselves and the leadership. And so it isn't all a loss. And I would submit that it makes the the victory down the road when the economic demand has been met even the sweeter because people have tried and fought, tried and fought, and didn't give up. And that's the power of people acting together in a union. In the podcast, we hear how for years, the sanitation workers in Memphis have been treated like they didn't matter, like they were invisible. And then during the strike, they created the I Am A Man campaign, and the sanitation workers felt such pride in carrying signs that stated that. I am a man. I am a man. I'm a man. That concept of I am a man has continued to be a powerful message right up until today for workers and for union leaders. So we're in the middle of an airport campaign right now, baggage handlers, wheelchair attendants, cabin cleaners, and um, they're all treated as if they don't exist, but are doing really critical work in the way the sanitation workers were. And I... That's the connection to the issue of dignity, I am, man, you know, um, that I think is resonant today for 64 million people across the service and care sector in this country who frankly have had it because they all just risk their lives to show up during the pandemic for the entire nation and especially for black and brown and Asian workers in this workforce, things have not changed substantially. And wages are still too low. There's still short staffing. There's still major problems on the job. And unions are being fought tooth and nail, both by the Republicans in state legislatures who want to eliminate public employee unions and by major corporations who are fighting Amazon workers, Starbucks workers, McDonald's workers from being able to join together and bargain a better life. I know for myself personally, being from the South, that has a, a real core to me because I, you know, I grew up in a town that uh, black people who did stuff like sanitation were invisible. Often, I remember, I remember 
a picket line in front of the AMP grocery store, and it was the baggers, and they were all black men, and they were picketing. And I remember that so well. I was a kid because they were invisible. I'm sure they were getting hurt and screwed, and uh, those kind of things sort of, I think, connect me. Um, but I think that's applicable in so many different other cases. Like, you know, we have campaigns with housekeepers. People don't see housekeepers. Who are housekeepers? They're women. They're people of color. People who are invisible lots of times. And we probably need to update and say, I'm a man, I am a woman. Um, but I think that's just, uh, there's a real identity, at least that I have, and I think workers have with, no, here I am, see me, hear me, I'm a part of this. And I think that's, um, that's what resonates today and uh, tomorrow. I am a man is a reflection, is a statement that says, you cannot take my dignity away. And I think about it this passionately and emphatically because, you know, I am the, I think I'm the first outwardly gay leader in the labor movement, first lesbian leader in the labor movement. I I rarely use that term, but I often watch first when I was closeted and the reactions I got when I tried to come out of the closet. But even now, so many years later, when you know marriage equality is accepted by so many, so you have law on our side, but still when people call gay people pedophiles or groomers, it is the same attempt to deny dignity, to strip dignity. And I am a man was and is uh, not just a slogan, but a statement that you can never strip my dignity away. In 1968, Organizers of the sanitation workers used a lot of nonviolent strategies, like marches and boycotts, to pressure the city of Memphis to agree to improve the workers' lives. In episode two of the I Am Story podcast, we hear about a sit-in at the city hall that leads to a mass arrest of activists. And these nonviolent tactics are still being used today. I've participated in many similar actions, including getting arrested to bring attention to the issues that workers are facing. My most memorable experience of nonviolent direct action was when we were at a McDonald's shareholder meeting in Chicago. There were 100 fast food workers, many parts of the labor movement, and then community partners that were doing a rally at the shareholder meeting outside as people were walking in. And McDonald's had uh, sharpshooters on the roof of their corporate office building. And uh, local police gathered from all these suburban communities outside of Chicago. And they had dogs on leashes. And so the, the police started letting the dogs kind of leap forward And this wonderful fast food leader from Kansas City, who I've grown to love, Terrence Wise, knelt down. And I followed him. And then other people knelt down. And Reverend Barber was with us, and he started a prayer. 
And then people started praying together. Well, you can imagine the police with the dogs kind of chilled out. They were like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, this this isn't a good look, you know, if people are praying together. And then eventually what happened is we moved from prayer to song, uh, like the Memphis sanitation workers, and sang our way through being cuffed and put on buses and taken to jail. I have to say, I felt like it was a, the word I would use is sacred, because there was so much faith in each other, because it wasn't, you couldn't script that, you know what I, like, just the wisdom of this fast food leader in Kansas City, understanding that he could diffuse the tension and the potential conflict by kneeling, and then us being willing to join together in whatever, uh, people from all different races and backgrounds and experiences and religions praying together and then singing uh, together was incredibly powerful. I wish it had made McDonald's knock on the door and call us, but it did not. (laughs) We are still waiting for that. But it was, it helped move the movement and then The $15 minimum wage then happened in California and New York after that action. So it helped catalyze other change. And we're still fighting across the country to get wages up and to make sure these fast food workers someday get a union. I've had all kinds of experience on civil disobedience. Um, I remember the second day of the strike, of the horseshoe strike, nine-and-a-half-month strike, we do a big civil disobedience, close down the Fremont Street in Las Vegas, and, uh, you know, we were in the can. I mean, the cops wanted to stick it to us. We were in the can for like two days. <laughs> it was all that. It, it's funny because a lot of workers have never been arrested. So you have to explain. You have to go through the whole history of civil disobedience with Gandhi and Dr. King. You have to do that. And it is frightening for a lot of workers for the first time. We have to explain how... Nonviolence is so much more powerful than violence because people get frustrated or angry. But I think actually more importantly uh, in for the overall strike, it says that we will win with uh, nonviolence and we will win with the power of our sacrifice over some short-term gratification if you break a window or something like that, which is just a losing um, strategy. Their conditions were so terrible for the sanitation workers, they had no place to go. In 1968, the sanitation workers decided to strike after the death of two of their co-workers in the back of their garbage truck. It was a bad truck. It was a bad mechanism. And T.O. Jones had gone to the sanitation department and protested this truck already and said it needs to be replaced. He kept telling them that those particular packers were unsafe. But the city sanitation department, headed by Henry Loeb, who became the mayor, wouldn't spend the money. Over many years, the labor movement has succeeded in making workplaces a lot safer. But there are still many dangers out there for workers today. Well. Look at what just happened in terms of COVID. I don't think it's a coincidence about how many people really want to be in a union in the aftermath of COVID. Part of what we do as unions, 
part of dignity is making sure that work doesn't kill you, that you have safe working conditions. That's the fight that we had over getting masks at work, you know, personal protective equipment during COVID. But it's more than that. It's good ventilation. And if you're a sanitation worker, um, a truck shouldn't kill you. And so these things are really important. Think back to when at the turn of the last century in the meatpacking industry and how unions attacked those terrible conditions, the conditions in sweatshops. So this is a long history of us attacking those conditions, but also needing to have collective organization, both economically and politically, socially, within the community, engaging community support, economically, the right to strike, but politically, getting people elected who will pursue policies that make work doable and make it dignified. I would say that health and safety, more than in any time in my years of service in the union, is critical. You know, if you're earning $10 an hour and you're working three jobs, your priority is going to be wages first. But I have to say, in more and more collective bargaining agreements, like the LA Unified strike that just happened with 30,000 of our bus drivers, teaching assistants, and uh, custodial and dietary staff, they had safety demands in that uh, strike that were also met at the same time. And it was thanks, I believe, to the solidarity of the rest of the labor movement and the teachers who decided to strike on behalf of those workers' demands, which has never happened in history. And safety was a key question because they don't have as many staff. Um, So one of the demands was increase the custodial staff and increase the security officers in schools because children were in harm's way and the teachers and staff were in harm's way in the L.A. Unified Schools. So often we overlook the worth and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs. But let me say to you tonight, that whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has worth. Martin Luther King had the ability to capture the essence of what the poor and the powerless were struggling for in America. When Dr. King came to Memphis and spoke to the sanitation workers for the first time, he used these powerful words. All labor has dignity. That pivotal idea is still at the heart of what unions are fighting for today. Absolutely. I mean, we have in our society, everything's based on how much money you have or where you live or what car you drive and all that stuff as compared to everybody has worth in the work that they do. I think that's enormous. The dignity of work, I think, is uh, what the labor movement brings to the table. Besides economic, obviously, improvements, you know, as I say, trying to make sure everybody has the American dream, it's also about people who do work with their hands. That has real value. 
Unfortunately, in our society, uh, I think the only institutions that bring that forth is the labor movement. So uh, they're not going to respect a single housekeeper, a single kitchen worker, a single garbage collector, or a single whomever. It's when you have collective action and together, that's what gets them to change their position and it forces and it improves the person you're having their position change. I mean, the real winning is not just winning with the head, it's winning with the heart. Uh, and that's why I think the lessons that were learned uh, from Memphis, the lessons we learned from Dr. King, it's about changing people's heart, not just their head. And I think that's something we always have to be reminded of. But you are doing another thing. You are reminding not only Memphis, but you are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. You know, King was a prophet. And so much of what he said, it was a clarion call. And all, you know, work in the public service is dignified work. It is vital work. The workers that we represent in the AFT, and we're 1.7 million strong, and we represent teachers and bus drivers and school secretaries and nurses and healthcare workers, we all make a difference in the lives of people. And that is both dignified work and it also is work that is really important. There is a multiple decade attempt to undermine this work and undermine unionization of this work and attempt to privatize this work. So it's not as if we just have a clear field here where we can just run the ball down the football field. There is constantly attacks on this work for the purpose of privatizing it or just not having it for people. Um, in the AFT, we have a campaign called, you know, What Kids and Communities Need, because we constantly have to talk about the work and have to connect to community, because without that, those forces that want to privatize, defund, they will win the day. So um, we and community are fighting for the services that community needs against this backdrop of trying to undermine it all the time. Well, I just had this experience at the Capitol where a housekeeper in a nursing home came up to me and said, I really appreciated that you talked about housekeeping alongside of the certified nursing assistants, because we often don't get recognized as being a part of the care team for uh, seniors and people with disabilities in nursing homes. And I started thinking about her because... I find that King quote so resonant today and is a key uh, driver of why workers who don't yet have unions are flocking to unions in record numbers. I think 
people risk their lives through the pandemic and now understand that it's on them because neither the government nor the employers are going to um, raise wages and create living wage jobs all across the service and care sector. They've got to come together and demand it for themselves. And it's not easy to stand up to your employer and demand something better. The sanitation workers in Memphis put everything on the line when they went on strike. And their children came to be very proud of them because of it. I mean, to take a stand to say, hey, I'm going to stop working. I don't know how long the strike's going to last. This was his source of income. But he thought it was so important to stand with this effort that he did. He didn't think about how he's going to feed his family. We run out of food. What's going to happen? We don't have money to pay the utility bill. He didn't think about anything. He said, this is the right thing to do, and I want to be a part of it. And he did. Amazing courage, amazing commitment, and amazing faith. That's what it was. We see that kind of courage all the time. Whenever workers are not being treated fairly and decide they're going to fight for something better. Every labor union in this moment wants to back workers who are brave enough to risk organizing and losing their jobs, and we have to show up for each other. Especially in the face of the attacks that we've talked about, DeSantis attacking and all these state legislature trying to weaken the labor movement means that we have to uh, join forces together in order to prevail. Every time a teacher teaches honest history, that is exercising courage. Every time someone stands up for their own rights or for that of others, that's exercising courage. Now, there's life and death courage, which is what the sanitation workers did, but they were forced to a point that the government and the, the racism and the anti-labor animus was stripping so much of their dignity. They felt forced to that. And that's what strikes are many times a last resort. But the action of engaging in a fight for hope and opportunity, I would argue is really courageous and should be lauded because all of these small acts of courage create revolutions, create transformation. And we had strikes in 2018 with Marriott in many cities. We're gearing up for uh, big contract fights this year in, in particular areas. Um, right now at the Sonoma Mission Inn, an exclusive high-end place, I don't know, it's like 800 bucks a night, those workers are organizing. The company has five persuaders in there trying to beat the crap out of the workers, and those workers are standing up. So I'm lucky enough. I see it every day. It's what fuels me, uh, and it puts in perspective exactly why we do this work and why it's so important that those workers have a collective voice. And, you know, I was raised by a single mother, so... A lot of people are single mothers, and uh, I mean, I know how hard it is to raise kids as a single mother, because I gave my mother a lot of gray hair, and I see these folks, whether they're uh, waiting on tables or tending bar or carrying bags or 
cleaning rooms, uh, how hard that is. And, you know, they work their butts off. They're taking care of their families. And yet they make time to actually figure out a way to better their life through the union. I, that's a real privilege that at least I have. And uh, I feel very fortunate. And it's thanks to the courage of workers, like the sanitation workers in Memphis, but also millions of others who fought for unions across the United States that Americans have many of the benefits we now take for granted. Sick leave, vacation pay, even bathroom breaks had to be fought for. And without unions on the front lines, we know even these rights could disappear. Being in a union makes a difference. No matter who you are or what your job is, Everyone deserves the basic rights and freedoms that come from having a voice on the job. That's what being in a union is all about. And on behalf of union members all across this country, I can promise that we will never stop fighting to give every worker a voice. I'm Lee Saunders. The I Am Story podcast is an original series from the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees and Ask Me President Lee Saunders. Tiffany Ricci is the executive producer. The show was narrated by me, Miriam Harris. Produced by Rhoda Metcalf and Bruce Edwards of Global Audio. Writing by Rhoda Metcalf. Recording, mixing, and sound design by Bruce Edwards. Editors are Rhoda Metcalf, Tiffany Ricci, and Bruce Edwards. Art direction by Chris Stiff. Thanks to the talented musicians at Epidemic Sound for the music. We would like to thank all the Memphis sanitation workers and their families who shared their stories with us. Dorothy Townsend for her guidance. The Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University the Rhodes College and the University of Memphis for use of their invaluable archives. And a special posthumous thank you to David and Carolyn Yellen for doing such an incredible job documenting the events of the 1968 strike. Thank you to sanitation workers everywhere. Your work is important and you deserve respect, gratitude, and the right to a union.